The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from, the, from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we Lord, we come before you, Lord, with broken hearts, with broken life, knowing that we can't do things on our own. Lord, we sacrifice, your sacrifice has been a reminder, a constant reminder to us that your love pursued us first. Lord, as we dig in uh, Hebrews 13, we, I pray for hearts uh, to be wrestled with, questions to be answered, life that can be transformed, not by our physical ability, our skill, our personality, our charm, Lord, by, by your spirit. Lord, let this be a church that is founded in prayer, founded in the word of God, equipped by the gospel and love within community. Lord, I pray for every single heart here. And let your spirit weigh and throw his weight around. Lord, I love you. We love you so much. We thank you for your spirit, for your word, for your gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thanks, Ryan. All right, good morning. Uh, if this is your first time here, my name is Randall, I'm the lead pastor of Grace City, and it's great to have you this morning. Um, we have been in a series uh, over this summer in the book of Hebrews, and I had lunch with a friend this week. He said, you know, I was reading through the book of Hebrews, and I thought to myself, man, it would be good if we went through the book of Hebrews, and then I realized you were going through the book of Hebrews this summer. I was really excited, and I think for us, you know, it's exciting to walk through this book because we started the year looking at the book of Genesis. And now we're seeing all of these parallels and things that are coming in that we learned in the book of Genesis that now we are applying as we look at the book of Hebrews. And today's text, we are, we are getting near the end. Last chapter, chapter 13. And so this is really important stuff. And our text today is Hebrews 13, 1 through 9. 
And the message today, as we look at this text, if you were to wrap it up, it's this. A distinct community. A distinct community. As we look at what it is to be a Christian and what God has done in our lives, it's, it's that we are, as the church, a distinct community. See, the author of Hebrews, and we're not sure who this author is, wants us to get something And it's been something that he's been saying over and over and over again in this book of Hebrews. It's that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And as we look at the community that God has formed in the church, it's still the same. Jesus is enough. You see, this is important because he's speaking, the author is speaking to a Jewish city-dwelling audience that is undergoing immense persecution from their culture. They're being beaten down in their faith. Basically, in many ways, they're being told that Jesus is not enough. And so the author is lovingly pastoring these people that he's speaking to and reminding them that those that have gone before have lived by faith. And so as we looked at the the book of Hebrews, we we stopped right there in Hebrews chapter 11 and looked and and studied the life of those who've gone before. Many in the book of Genesis and all throughout the Old Testament, they've trusted the Lord. And so God has formed this distinct community, not on our own, but we, we, we stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before. And in today's passage, he's now pointing the, the people to the idea that as a Christian's, We need to be distinct from the rest of the world. And he's telling them again that Jesus is enough and you're not alone. You're not alone. But we have to ask, as a Christian community, a distinct community, a distinct community of what? What is it that he's encouraging encouraging us to be? On April 2012, author David Kinnaman wrote in his book, Unchristian, what a generation really thinks about Christianity and why it matters, said this. He says, what are Christians known for? Outsiders think about our moralizing, our condemnations, and our attempts to draw boundaries around everything. Even if these standards are accurate and biblical, they seem to be all we have to offer. And our lives are a poor advertisement for the standards. We have set the game board to register lifestyle points. Then we are surprised to be trapped by our mistakes. The truth is we have invited the hypocrite image. Basically what he's saying is that as Christians, many of us have bought into something other than Jesus. And we put our faith in calling Christianity something other than the gospel and what Christ has said in his word. And so, is this what the author of Hebrews is telling us Christians should be known for? Is that what we should be known for? No. So what is it that Christians should be marked by? Well, this text in Hebrews 13, 1 through 9, tells us what we should be marked for, marked by as Christians. So the writer of Hebrews tells us that we should be a distinct community marked by three things, all from the text. Number one, authentic love. Two, accountable lives, and three, empowering grace. Number one, authentic love, two, accountable lives, and three, empowering grace. 
And so the first one, authentic love. Look at verses one through three. Here's what it says. It says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. So the author in chapter 13 starts out with this. He starts out with love. He says, brotherly love. Let the brotherly love continue. And what we see is there's two types of love described in these first three verses. And I just want to say this. Both are very unnatural, especially within an isolated culture. Because the people at that time would not have naturally been this way. And let me just guess, we're not that same way either. We live in a very isolated culture. We need our space. And the same thing was true then. And so the first type of love that he's talking about here is mentioned in verse one. He says in the original language, it's the word Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. I don't know if you know or been to Philadelphia. I've been there a few times and I didn't really feel the love. You know, my dad lived there for a short time, he, he worked there, commuted there. He told me, Randall, this is not a very loving place. And, that, and that, that's when I, when I say this isn't natural, this has to come from the Lord. This has to be something that God does. Right, so he says, let brotherly love continue. Philadelphia. Now, in his book, Love in Hard Places, Don Carson suggests that ideally the church isn't composed of natural friends, but rather natural enemies. Here's what he says. He says, what binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. In the light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus himself, they committed themselves to doing what he says. And he commands them to love one another. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who, have one an, who love one another for Jesus' sake. What I want to say is that the church is not natural. It's something that God does when he saves us and he brings us together. Not anything common other than the fact that we have Christ. He brings us together as family because that word brotherly love is important. All throughout the Bible, what it talks about the church being is, is not a, an organization. It's not a business. It's not something that we just come and gather together because we're all friends. No, it says that we are family, brothers and sisters in Christ. And this would have been very uncommon during that time. In the Roman Empire, there were people, writers that, that we've got a hold of, like commentators, scholars, all that they've got a hold of that, that look back at Christianity when it first started 2,000 years ago. And they said how weird Christians were. Because they believe that 
the church, people were their, their brothers and sisters. They were willing to do that. So it's very unnatural. It's something that God does in our hearts, in our lives, because Jesus is at the center. So second love is mentioned in verse two. It's the word philozenia. And so it's, it's found in verse two. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And so the word for hospitality is philozenia. Philo, love, zenia for the stranger. This is what authentic love looks like in a Christian community. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels. And remember, studying throughout the book of Genesis, what we saw in the life of Abraham is that he actually did entertain angels. There were three men that came to his home. Remember this? It was this, this strange encounter that we, we look, and, and then what happens at the end of it is he finds out that it was God who came to visit him. And so that is what it's referencing here too as we think about the book of Genesis, the Old Testament, and how it's relating to the book of Hebrews now. He says, some have entertained angels. Now about this verse, commentator F.F. Bruce says this. He says, the reference is no doubt primarily to Abraham's experience when he entertained three men so, hospi uh, so hospitably by the terebinth of Mamre and found that one of them was none other than Yahweh, God. He's not necessarily encouraging his readers to expect that, that those they entertain will turn out to be supernatural beings traveling incognito. He's assuring them that some of their visitors will prove to be true messengers of God to them, bringing greater blessing than they receive. Have you ever had that before? Where, where you've opened up your house to somebody, right? Maybe, maybe for a short amount of time or an extended amount of time, but then you found that they were just such a blessing to be there. To the point where you said, man, I feel like God sent you during those times in my life. See, what this is, is understanding that, that our lives are not our own. That my home is not my own, but it's the Lord's. And so opening up my life, it's, it's, it's prying in to a place where it gets really uncomfortable. But that is a sign of a Christian. It's to say, you know what, it's not about me. It's about God. And so there is a, an authentic love that starts to form in our hearts when Christ comes in. Second, Accountable lives. Look at verse 6. It says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, we need to ask, this Christian community, when we talk about accountability, when we talk about our lives right here, as we're, he's diving into some really touchy subjects. Very touchy. For our culture, we would say hot button issues. 
Okay, I get it, right? I need to love, but, but now you're getting a little bit deeper into my life. You're prying a little too far. What's the author pointing us to as far as our accountability in our life? It's accountable to God. And so the author addresses these two areas in our life that would be very countercultural to their society, right? The, the time in which they lived, but also to ours. And it addressed the topics of sex and money. He starts by saying, let the marriage bed be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. See, what, we, what we're seeing here is this, that God is saying, you know what? Your culture and the way that the Roman Empire was during that time. If you, if you were just to do some research, you would say, well, they would be even further down as far as what we would call progressive than we are. Yet, we're saying it's not the world that defines any of these things for my life. It doesn't define marriage or anything. God does. God does. And so I, I know that there's things that come into my life or things that I think or, or things that come in that, that tell me this is the way it is. But no, I go back to what God says in Genesis I go back. And so we see that there's a distinct people that went back to what God says in a culture that was everything but what God said during that time. And so this community would have been very distinct and stuck out because it says, let the marriage bed be undefiled and God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Here's what he's saying. Sex is in God's hands. Sex is a good thing, but it is God's. And so how I interact with that is be, I ask God, God, help me. Give me guidance. Lead me. George Guthrie says the institution of marriage, marriage was assaulted from two sides in the ancient world. Some felt chastity in marriage was unreasonable. For example, in some corners of the Greco-Roman culture, men were expected to make mistresses as their confidants and sexual partners. Others felt marriage stunted spiritual devotion and thus held asceticism as the ideal. Right? In some ways, in the, the, the culture even that we live in today, in the way that we view sex and marriage and all of these things, we can, think, we can put it up as an idol and say this is the, the way that we should. We, oh, everybody should be married. But that's not it. The Apostle Paul wasn't married. People, so in, in the way in which we interact with the text, we say, okay, God, you are in charge of this. And in, in an extremely sexually promiscuous culture, during that time, Christians stuck out. See, there's a writing from the early second century written by a man, Methetes, describing early Christian community. And he, he, he remarks that this. He says, they marry as do all. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. There were, there were times where people would sacrifice their children. They have a common table, but not a common bed. And so the Christians were very distinct during that time. Then he says this, he says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. Again, commentator George Guthrie says, keep your life free from the love of money. Or, or, or he says, such greed amounts to accusing God of inc incompetence as a provider of one's most basic needs and therefore is incompatible with commitment to God himself. 
right? What we can say is this, that, that God, you haven't given me enough. I don't have enough. And so, so you're not really my provider. And what this does is it challenges us. See, this text is very countercultural to what Western society believes because in many ways our culture says this. It's, it's my body. I do what I want with it. It's my money. I do what I want with it. But God says, no, your body is not your own. You were bought at a price. He says, your money is not your own. I own it all. In every way, our lives are accountable to God, and we live as a distinct community that's accountable to God. And so how do we live this way? Right? How do we live this way that's, that's so different, that's so countercultural to the way in which everyone else lives? Empowering grace. Empowering grace. Look at verses 7 through 9. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their life. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. First, he starts out, he says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. The way I describe my job is this. I'm the mailman. I just deliver the mail. That's all I do, right? Like that, that is my responsibility. I, I deliver the mail, but I don't start digging in the mail saying, hey, let me just change this here and there and, you know, like all those types of things. No, my job as a pastor, as somebody who cares for you, as somebody who loves Jesus and this church, my job as leader is to come to you and say, here's the word of God. All I've got is the word of God. That's it. And so I want to present that to you in a way that will help you and, and show you the gospel and show you the grace of what God has done and what God can do in your life. But I'm here to deliver the mail. And, and here's the thing. What the writer is saying here is, is as he's talking about the word of God. He's saying this, remember the gospel. See what the gospel can do. See what the good news can do in your life. See, these leaders that he's talking about specifically in this text are probably the people who've taken the beatings the most. They were probably the ones who planted the church and have lived lives that exemplified the gospel again and again and again. You see, these were people who lived by faith, not by performance. Again, it's, it's living by faith, trusting in God. Even though it didn't fit in, it didn't look like everybody else. See, it, it wasn't about the leader. Here's one of the things that grieves me. There, there was this, there's this Instagram account it's called Preachers and Sneakers. I'm serious. It's like, it, it is, it's ridiculous. And it grieves me. It grieves me. Because I look at it and I'm like, that is crazy. But our preachers are known more for, for the glitz and the glamour and the entertainment more than Jesus. If you're a true preacher of the gospel, you're going to take some beatings. It's going to hurt. But, 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 but it says, look at their lives. See what, they, see what it looks like. 
What are they leading you to? Because it says in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. A kingdom leader's life is all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. And you got to know this. Leaders are not perfect. They need the gospel just as much as anybody else. I need the gospel just as much as anybody else. And the one that I will point you to again and again is the one that's the same yesterday and today and forever, Jesus Christ. That's it. And so that's why he comes back. He says, okay, you got the leaders. Like, look at the leaders. But here's who they've been pointing to the whole time, and here's what their life's all about. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Not going to change. We're not changing up the word of God here. We're not changing up who Jesus is. We're saying this is all about him. So you will be a distinct community that, uh, that, that, that shows who Christ is. Because verse 9 says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Here's what happens. We get caught up in other things other than Christ and the gospel. And, and what, what happened during that time is, again, performance. Here's what you need to do to earn God's love, favor, an extra blessing, all of these things. He says, no, it's grace. It's grace. You lean into and are strengthened by grace. What is the motivation of this distinct community of the church? It is grace. What is grace? Grace is the message that we didn't earn or deserve God's love, affection, righteousness, or acceptance. It's a gift freely given through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. See, I've heard it said that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's looking upon Jesus and saying, I didn't earn a thing. I, I, I'm really nothing. And Jesus is everything. It's all him. He, he's done it. He saved me. He's loved me. He's cared for me. It's all about Jesus. God's riches at Christ's expense. He paid the ultimate price. So what is it that holds Christian community together and gives you and I the power to keep going? It's God's grace. It's God's grace. Because here's the truth. There's no perfect church. People will disappoint us. It will be intentionally, sadly, or unintentionally. But God never does. And so you and I must lean into God's empowering, transforming grace to keep us going even when it gets difficult. Right, just the label of brother and sister doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. And so you've got to know that it's got to be God every single day just saying, okay, shape me, form me, hold me, keep me here, change me. It says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. There will be people who will try to convince you that our unity is based on something other than Jesus, something other than grace. Could be legalism. Just follow my rules that I make up for this community. Could be trendiness or coolness or any of those types of things. Could be, well, it's just, I just like this or that. No, it's about Jesus and his grace. And, it, and that makes a Christian community distinct. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. It's 
grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. And so just some takeaways. As we think about this message, and we try to digest this because this is the, the, this is the like you think about the most important things. He's, he, he's trying to just put it all in there right at the end here. What do we need to take away from this? Well, well, let's honestly ask ourselves, number one, how well do I love others? How well do I love others? And when I'm talking about love, I want us to describe it in the way that the Bible does when it says your brothers and sisters, right, our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also the strangers, the, the, the outcasts, the ones that aren't like us. Okay, so how do we love one another. Um, I've got three kids, and, and one, one of the things that I do in the morning is I take my kids to school. That's my responsibility. That's my job, right? And so I got my, all my kids in the car, but um, this week my wife said, you know, can I take the van, and you take the other car, which is like a little uh, four-door car. And, um, and, and so, sure, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I opened up the door. I get all three kids in there, and it's a little tight, little tight in the back of the car there. And, um, and so my question is, okay, what, what's, what's going to happen back there from my house to school? Maybe I can play some music. Maybe I could do some things to kind of ease the tension because it's going to be close proximity, brothers and sisters. Uh, just are we going to get along? And it gets into the, hey, he's touching me. No, no, he, he, you're putting your elbow on my side. No. And so I'm trying to direct, like, hey, okay, you need to lean over towards the window, and you need to kind of come this way a little bit. And, and, okay, no talking in the car. Okay, hey, everybody, love each other. Love your brother. Love your sisters. Be nice. Did it work? That's probably what you're thinking. The answer, no. No, it didn't work. And so I just tried to get to, as quickly as I could to school. I said, okay, guys, let's go get out the car. You know, like, here's what I know about my kids. For them to learn what love truly is, they have to experience a love that's greater than themselves. They have to experience a love that's greater than themselves. See, we love because he first loved us. You know that? The only reason you and I can love in a way which the Bible describes is not because I've just got a lot of love in me and so I'm just a really loving person. Because you're going to run into people that it's really difficult to love. No, it says that it's something that God does in our hearts and says that we love because he first loved us. And so one of the things that I do whenever I do a, a wedding I go to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. You know, everybody reads those passages. They say, man, isn't this great? Love, love, love. And so I, I read it. And I say, okay, well, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Then I turned to the, the people getting married. I said, this describes you, doesn't it? Let's just put your name in here. We'll just read that out, right? That, that, that describes you every way, just all of these things about love. No. See, here's where we need to start. Jesus. 
See, if you put Jesus in there, Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Do you see where that changes our hearts? A community that's built on the love of Jesus and something that only Jesus can do in my life. And then I can start to admit, you know what? That's not me. I need help. Jesus, would you help me to love like you love? Would you teach me your way and your truth? Even though it just doesn't fit in to my life all the time, help me, Lord, to be like this. Jesus, it's all about you. So how well do I love others? It's gonna be based on how much do I trust Jesus? Second, let's ask, have I sought real accountability? Have I sought real accountability? You know, one of the things it's talking about here is all of this in the, is the, in the context of community, right? It's all people coming together uh, saying, I want to be accountable, right? And during that time, it wasn't like, okay, I can go from one place to another or any of those types of things, but it's like these brothers and sisters are brothers and sisters, and they're together. And so, again, what happens is it gets difficult sometimes to figure that out. And naturally, with our own tendencies, we just kind of want to run, don't we? We just kind of want to run from real accountability. Like I've heard many times, it's like when I'm going through something or struggling or people are like telling me, hey, man, I'm really going through something. I just need some space. I need some time by myself. I need to isolate myself. I need to get away. But what we see in the scriptures is it's it's no. Like if you have a church family, these are people who care about you, love you, and are going to walk with you through something. And so, and so what does it look like to have real friendships, real accountability? Because here's the thing. We all need it. We all do. And we all get shaped and we're better because of what Jesus has done. Uh, one of the things this week that was a surprise to me is we found rats in the house. Rats were in our house. It was disgusting. It was weird. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, you know, you're just like waking up and it's just like you see evidence all throughout the house. You're like, oh, man, what is happening here? And so um, I talked to my kids, said, hey, uh, you know, my wife, we're like, hey, let's do a family meeting real quick. Okay, hey, um, guys, don't leave food just hanging out on the counter or snacking in your room, right? Like get this stuff up, throw it away, all of those things. And so there had to be some real accountability in our house. And then I found the, the, the most scary thing of all, I found where the nest was. Yeah, so I like, there's this area on our patio where I lifted up and I found all the stuff, right? It's just disgusting. And I, and, I, and, and it, if you know me, you know that I am like, I am just freaked out by that stuff. I, I just do not like it. I, I'm like, if there's like a little mouse in the house, I'm like, right, I'm like, no, like, you know, like, that's how I am. And so when I found this, I'm like, I don't want to find this. Like, I, I, you know, like, I didn't want to lift up the thing. Like, ah, I need to, I don't want to. And, and, and so it was cleanup day yesterday. And, um, and, and here's the thing. It was a team effort, a team 
effort to get the place cleaned up and just kind of figure out what's going on. And the same thing is true with sin. It tries to get in our lives. It tries to sneak in the, the, the thing I found. I found a little hole in the window where, you know, bit out the screen. And so I found that hole and it's trying to get in the window and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, you're closing the door. Like, nah, closing that window up. No, I don't think so. But here's the thing. We all got to be on the same page about that. And do you know that sin is just like that? It'll try and creep in through every little crevice in the house trying to get in. And you got to have a team effort to say, hey, watch this window, watch that window, watch all these other places. What I'm talking about here is that is the church, real accountability, helping one another. Because Colossians 3, 8 through 9 says this, but now we must put, away, put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. He says, do not lie to one another. We don't have to lie to each other. Like we got our lives together. Like there's no rats in the house. Like any of those things, right? We don't have to lie to one another. R.C. Sproul said it well. He says, for a Christian to be a Christian, he must be first, or he must first be a sinner. Being a sinner is a prerequisite for being a church member. Oh, man. The Christian church is one of the few organizations in the world that requires a public acknowledgement of sin as a condition for membership. We just say it, right? Like every single one of us needs Jesus. Every single one of us has sin. And so it's not like some people or those people or any of those things that we can try to make up in our own hearts and try to distance ourselves from people. No, when you see and I see that, no, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an everyone struggle, then we start to understand what it means to have real accountability and that, that we can actually work through these things together as a church family. Lastly, has the grace of God genuinely marked me in my relationships? You know, my wife said it well one time. She says, a healthy working relationship is a sign of God's grace. I believe that. I believe that. It's because many times relationships can be filled with suspicion, jealousy, pride, envy, greed, self-centeredness. Right, that one little text message that just goes sideways. All of these things can happen. We must be changed by God's grace and we must seek him. God, help me. Has the grace of God genuinely marked me and my relationships and changed me? You say, how does that happen in my life? Well, it starts to happen when we meditate on this. Verse five says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why, why does he say that? You, you know what, in the original language, one of the things that, that it just emphasizes in this text, we can't see it on the surface, it's this. It's saying that God says, I will never, ever desert you. It's not just like, I will never, but it was like, I will never, ever desert you. I will never, ever forsake you. You say, well, if I think about the context, because we need to, that even when he talks about marriage, right? Even the best spouse, it someday will, will leave us. My wife is amazing, but someday one of us is going to die. 
and we're going to leave each other, and, and it, it won't even be like I, I wanted to, right? In that moment, but, but it's, it's going to happen. Even the best spouse will leave us because of death. Our money, no matter how much we accumulate and we have, you know what? It's going to leave us. That money, it will, it will leave us. And God says, remember the gospel. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. Well, yeah, God, you say that, but, but how do I know it's true? It's because Jesus was left for us. He was abandoned. He was left alone. Why? So that you and I will never be left alone. Never, ever deserted. Never, ever forsaken. Because the Son of God was forsaken on a cross for you and me. And when we get this, God builds a distinct community that will be shaped by an authentic love, accountable lives, and an empowering grace that when people look at the church, really look at the church, they'll say, hey, maybe maybe I don't agree with everything that they believe, but I know that they love people. I know that they're, they're living it out that they're genuine in their faith and they're people just filled with grace because of what Jesus has done for them. We'll be changed forever when we understand what Jesus has done for us, when we know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever and that we can put our faith in him, a distinct community because of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we will stick out in a way that shocks the world because of what you've done. In a way that surprises people because you are good and everything in you is good. And so help us, Lord, to be people just truly changed because we've encountered the living God. And I thank you, Lord, that there, there, there are people here today that might be questioning or wondering, okay, what is this? Or, or, or just in a place of, yes, I believe. Help me, Lord, in my unbelief. All of these places, Lord, and we can come together, look at your word, and just ask you for help. And so we come to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.